2: I'm your host, Linda House, Executive Vice President of External Affairs at the Cancer Support Community. Today, I'm filling in for Kim Tebeldo, who is your permanent host, who happens to be off. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 170 locations worldwide, Online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org and via a telephone helpline at 1-888-793-9355. And I will repeat that for you in case you didn't have a chance to write that down. You know, last September here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer, our host, Kim Thibaldau, interviewed Jeannie Samard on cancer rehabilitation, an emerging concept we are now seeing that is really helping cancer survivors regain control of their life after they've had their treatment. Similar to how someone who has had a stroke might take part in a rehab program to regain skills that they've lost, A cancer patient can now take advantage of programs to help them address the short and long-term symptoms and side effects of cancer and its treatment. On today's show, brought to you in part by Celgene, Lilly Oncology, and Onyx, we're lucky to speak with Julie Silver, who is the physician, about the other side of the equation, cancer prehab, Julie Silver, MD, is founder of the Survivorship Training and Rehabilitation, or STAR program, S T A R, Survivorship Training and Rehabilitation. She is an associate professor at Harvard Medical School in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, as well as a breast cancer survivor. Following her acute treatment for cancer in 2003, Dr. Silver realized that there was a large gap in helping survivors to heal as well as they could possibly heal from toxic cancer therapies. So we are so happy that you're here with us today, Dr. Silver, and eager to get started on this really important topic. Thank you for being here.
3: Well, thank you for talking about cancer prehabilitation. It's it's a really important topic and I'm delighted to be here. So let's start with the basics.
2: So what is cancer prehabilitation and what is its goal?
3: Well, the easy way to sort of think about cancer prehabilitation is uh, both in time and also in what is done during that time. So let's start with the time part that is between the time of diagnosis and the time of acute cancer treatment. So the time between when someone is newly diagnosed with cancer and when they, for example, would have uh, surgery or when they would start chemotherapy or whatever. So prehab is a very discrete period of time between diagnosis and the start of cancer treatment. Then when you look at at that period of time, you think about, okay, what is done during that period of time? And in the past, there's been things like getting someone ready for surgery, uh, pre-op preparations, and also patient education. And that's not really prehab. Prehab is really assessments and interventions that are designed to improve the patient outcomes. So... It would be different than just general education about what's going to happen, and really designed to improve the outcomes, physical and emotional, of those patients.
2: And and so, could you just give? I know we're going to go into it in depth, but I just want to clarify: um, assessment and interventions designed to improve patient outcomes. So these would be um, assessments and in, in, in interventions recommended by the healthcare team, but but tailored to a specific patient.
3: That's right. So maybe an easy way to think about this would be to give an example and think about the patient who's newly diagnosed with breast cancer. So let's say uh, we'll, we'll call her Mary. Mary's diagnosed with breast cancer, and Mary has some shoulder problems already, and she's going to have a mastectomy and then chemotherapy and then radiation treatment. So on the prehab side, she would be assessed, And she would be found to have some shoulder problems already and she would get some specific interventions such as physical therapy to improve her shoulder range of motion and try to decrease the pain before she ever has the mastectomy so that hopefully going into the surgery her shoulder moves well and she doesn't have a lot of pain. And then she'd be given specific exercises to help try to maintain that range of motion. Now, if Mary never had that and it was never identified that she had these shoulder problems to begin with, then she might have even worse problems as over time as she has surgery and so on. She may end up with a frozen shoulder. She may end up with chronic pain and so on. So the, the prehab is really designed to, to identify problems that, that may be present at baseline and then to provide interventions that improve those problems. Even if Mary never had problems, it would be a really good idea to give her some shoulder range of motion and strengthening exercises before she ever had the surgery to try again to improve her post-operative outcomes.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's almost like training, training for the marathon, training for the procedure.
3: That's exactly what it is. It's, it's really um, defined as these preparations that are made in, in anticipation of an upcoming stressor. So we know that cancer survivors are going to have these these very stressful cancer treatments. And so what can we do to prepare them so they have the best possible outcome?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so cancer prehabilitation is relatively new. So can you um, tell our listeners, how did this movement get started?
3: Cancer prehabilitation is fairly new, but orthopedic prehabilitation isn't so new. So one of the things that we've been really looking at is what's happening in the orthopedic population. For example, let's say someone's going to have a total hip replacement or a total knee replacement. In anticipation of that upcoming surgery and that stressor, they often will go through prehab, what is frequently in hospitals called joint camp. And they will be, have specific assessments and then interventions that are designed to get their, their hip and their leg and their knee and so on stronger so that when they have the surgery, they can recover more quickly and hopefully prevent a lot of post-operative complications um, for example, um, you know, problems with range of motion, problems with strength, problems with chronic pain, and so on. And that also helps them get out of the hospital faster and just have a better overall outcome. So we took a look at what was happening in the orthopedic population. And this, by the way, has been done in cardiac patients as well, and even in patients that were going to have an elective uh, stay in an intensive care unit. So if you knew you were going to have some sort of surgery or something was going to happen and you'd end up being in the ICU for a period of time, um, prehab interventions have often been done. So we looked at that literature and started really thinking about, well, once a cancer patient's diagnosed, we know they're going to have a lot of upcoming stressors. So could we better prepare them? And the short answer is yes, we could, and that's really where the research started going.
2: That's very interesting. Um, so can you talk about where there are uh, where where there are cancer prehab programs, and you know where might a patient be able to go and participate in
3: one? Sure. the The idea of cancer prehab and the implementation of cancer prehab is sort of evolving, and so. One of the things you really want to be thinking about and, and asking your doctor about is, um, you know, what are the things that will help me get ready for my upcoming treatments? So if you've been newly diagnosed, then you really want to be thinking about, all right, what is, what is my doctor or what is this hospital doing to help me get ready for that? And you can use the term prehab. That's a great term to use. But really what you're asking about is how am I getting ready for this? And as prehab evolves, um, we've seen prehab offered in in lots of different ways. For example, uh, lung cancer patients who are diagnosed often get smoking cessation or um, uh, help to stop smoking. Well, that's really important not only just to try to prevent cancer in general, but keep in mind this patient was already diagnosed with cancer. So at that point, we're really not trying to to prevent lung cancer because they already have lung cancer but they might benefit from uh, stopping smoking in terms of the the surgery because we know that even stopping smoking a short period of time before surgery can help improve your outcomes, can help improve the oxygenation and the healing process and so on. So I'm kind of giving this a roundabout way of saying that a lot of hospitals have been doing this kind of thing for a while. They've been offering um, smoking cessation programs and they've been offering uh, some exercises preoperatively to do before, for example, a mastectomy or whatever. But what we really want to focus on is taking this sort of to the next level and really looking at the research and saying, okay, what are the important interventions that can be done and how do we uh, use them together in a way that's very effective? And in the research, one of the things we've really been looking at is this idea of, Is it better to do a single intervention or do multiple interventions? And uh, the multiple interventions seems to be the way to go, especially for something like, let's say, lung cancer or colorectal cancer. If you combine, we'll say, three different things, trimodal, um, nutrition, protein supplementation, uh, some specific exercises, and then some sort of cognitive behavioral therapy that helps decrease stress so that you get that psychosocial component. If you put those three things together, that's better than doing any one of them alone.
2: That's that's great. And, and, I, and I was going to uh, to ask you about the psychosocial component of that, so I'm so thrilled to hear that that's an important part of, of the trifecta, if you will, the trimodal therapy. So I know you touched on it a little bit, but what what um, what are some of the other lifestyle changes that, um, that, that could be affected by this or other pre-existing conditions that cancer prehab can help improve before a patient would undergo full therapy or full surgery?
3: The goal of prehab, of course, is to improve the outcomes. So mm-hmm. it does tie in really nicely to sort of behavioral and lifestyle recommendations, but it's actually a little bit different than general exercise and general lifestyle interventions. And the reason is is because you're really targeting specific outcomes that you want. For example, if you're looking at head and neck cancer patient, um, you're going to be really worried about their ability to swallow and eat. And you're also going to be worried about their ability to turn their head to the side and drive safely. Um, We know that head and neck cancer survivors have a lot of speech and swallowing problems and we know that they have a lot of weight loss issues and we know that they have a lot of problems returning to activities such as driving because they can't move their necks very well. So, our goal in treating that population wouldn't be just a general exercise program, here go and take this yoga class or, um, you know, just do these general exercises. Instead, we would be specifically looking at exercises that help improve swallowing, so all the muscles that you use when you swallow, trying to make those muscles as strong as possible we'd be looking at range of motion of the neck and trying to really focus on improving range of motion. And we'd also be looking at supplementing um, their diet, especially if they were underweight to begin with and, and um, really making sure that, that we optimize them nutritionally. And I think every single prehab protocol should have the psychosocial component that really consists of not only um, acknowledging That patients are distressed and that this is a very difficult time for them but giving them a specific strategy to help them with their stress because we know they're going to be stressed and distressed so in knowing that what can they do as they're going into surgery or as they're dealing with all of this news um, what can they specifically do to help themselves and that gets into a lot of strategies like um, uh, guided imagery and uh, progressive muscle relaxation and, um, you know, meditation and so on. But teaching patients very specific
2: strategies. Yeah, and I I especially love the whole empowerment piece of that and and really teaching them how to become a, a strong participant in their care. So, you know, kudos to you. This is great. Um, This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we've got to take a commercial break. But when we're back, we will hear more from Dr. Silver speaking about cancer prehabilitation. Please join us when we return.
4: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed
5: Or call 617 733 5848.
4: Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
2: We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer, sponsored today in part by ASI, Genentech, and Amgen. We're here today with Dr. Julie Silver, who is the Associate Professor of Harvard Medical School in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Julie is also a breast cancer survivor, and she is the founder of the STAR program, S-T-A-R, which stands for Survivorship Training and Rehabilitation. In our last segment, we had the opportunity to talk about cancer prehabilitation, what it is, and who benefits, in the next part of the show, I'd like to really take a deeper look at how prehabilitation works. And we have touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into this, Dr. Silver. Um, So we all know that cancer treatments can be tough. And, you know, we've seen our loved ones deal with side effects. And for those who are survivors, they've lived through having to deal with side effects. But could you walk us through some examples of how cancer prehab can alleviate or even prevent some of the side effects of the different types of cancer treatments.
3: Absolutely, let me give you an example um, from one of our STAR programs that they are presenting at the upcoming um, uh, Academy of Oncology Nurse Navigators meeting. So this is research that they're presenting, and this is a case report. And what happened is that they had uh, they they do STAR program prehab, which um, has um, different components, and basically. Um, They had a patient referred to them by a thoracic surgeon who um, this patient had lung cancer and the patient was not deemed to be an appropriate patient who could have surgery, even though the surgeon thought that he could actually get rid of the cancer if he did surgery, uh, he thought that the patient had too many other medical problems. She had been a smoker and had a chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. Um, she was physically weak. Um, he just was really worried about her. So he said to the team, he said, listen, um, I will do surgery on this patient if you can get her stronger and more ready for surgery. So at the time that mm. she was referred, she wasn't a candidate for surgery, which, um, which was really important because surgery could potentially cure her. So the team worked with her and um, did, you know, did some assessments and looked at where she was at physically and then did specific interventions. And this is an unusual case because it actually took six weeks. And most, most of the time you wouldn't want to delay treatment by six weeks. But um, for this patient, surgery was just too risky. So they worked with her in physical therapy for six weeks. They got her stronger. And um, she had the surgery. She successfully got through the surgery. She even had uh, a decreased hospital length of stay compared to um, how long patients usually stay in the hospital for this particular surgery. And then following that, she actually had rehab as well. So she had prehab and rehab. And the exciting part about this, well, there's a lot of exciting parts about this, but here's a few of them. Number one is that she had a cancer treatment that otherwise wouldn't have even been available to her. So she had the opportunity for a cure, and that wouldn't have even been available to her she wouldn't have had prehab. Another thing that's Mm -hmm. exciting is that she had a decreased hospital length of stay, and finally... The really exciting thing was that she physically, after she went through all of this, including the surgery, was physically stronger than she was at baseline, which is a pretty big paradigm shift to imagine that for some patients, they can be healthier after cancer treatment than they were before.
2: Wow. I, I can only imagine how thrilled the treatment team was with that.
3: It is pretty exciting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, what what about some of the other uh, typical side effects that we think about with with cancer treatment? So maybe even side effects from the chemotherapy. I know that you had mentioned the nutrition and the physical activity, which you know I would I would sort of automatically make that leap to think that that would in fact improve you know some of the the symptoms post cancer treatment. But are there any other that that might not be quite so obvious to us in, in terms of the other side effects?
3: I think there's a lot of side effects that might not be so obvious or they might be really subtle. Um, let's go back to the head and neck cancer patient, just for a minute. Mm-hmm. So we know that head and neck cancer patients often have problems swallowing. And frequently what we're looking for are um, you know, is, is someone who's really choking and, and they're just really struggling to swallow. But if you back away from that and you sort of say, all right, you know, what kinds of, of problems might cause someone significant disability? They can't do the things they want to do, even if the problems are somewhat subtle. So if we back away from that really serious, you know, swallowing problem and somebody's choking and they're, you're really worried about them aspirating and so on, and you say, well, what about the subtle things? For example, um, the man who, who can't go back to work or won't go back to work, Because it's a cafeteria-style lunchroom environment, and he might have some subtle swelling problems that might make him choke a little bit, nothing terribly dangerous or whatever, but enough that he's going to be embarrassed and he's going to feel worried that he can't actually eat his lunch. Um, He can't get through the day. He eats too slowly and he's worried about um, the subtle choking or just not being able to, to eat as quickly as he needs to during his lunchtime. That might seem like not that big of a deal, but that can literally keep someone out of work and totally disabled. And we see this with a lot of different problems. They may not be, um, you know, really horrific problems. They might be kind of subtle, but that leads to a lot of disability. And I'm, I can share a little bit more about the difference between impairments and disability because I actually think that's an important, um, important part of what we're talking about if, if um, that's something that you are sure. yeah, interested in learning about. So, yes. so, you know, impairments are what we see on physical examination. Um, So a good example is, you know, someone has a leg amputation and, you know, their their leg will never grow back and, and, you know, the, the impairment is there forever and ever. And disability is what they can't do because of the impairment. And so if you never give them a prosthesis and you never teach them to walk with the prosthesis and so on, then they're going to be very, very disabled. But if you give them a prosthesis and you teach them to walk and even to run, they potentially could run the Boston Marathon on the prosthesis. So they'll be much less disabled. So we look at not only impairments, but we look at the disability that might be associated with those impairments. And that can be all kinds of things associated with chemotherapy. You mentioned chemotherapy. Um, a big problem with chemotherapy is, is neuropathy. And neuropathy can cause pain. It can cause um, problems with balance, it can cause, um, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, disability related to not being able to, uh, for example, button your shirt real well or put your key in, in the uh, car ignition or lots of things that you would do, um, you know, before you had chemotherapy that you might not be able to do very well right now. So. We really look at those kinds of things and say, on the prehab side, what can we do to make sure that we try to prevent as many impairments as possible and also anticipate what kinds of disability these patients will experience to try to get them functioning as well as possible.
2: And so it sounds like the majority of patients would be eligible in some way for this very targeted personalized approach to prehabilitation regardless of their diagnosis or their prognosis?
3: I think that's a fair statement. I think that it's important to make sure that we don't delay cancer treatment. We do know Mm -hmm. from research that if you have delays in the actual cancer treatment, that some patients will have a worse prognosis. So we don't want to automatically put delays into um, the, the start of cancer treatment unless, for example, as I described earlier, that woman who wasn't a surgical candidate, um, you know, we don't want to automatically add delays because that doesn't make sense. Instead, what we're trying to do is use whatever window of time there is, and let's say it's a week or three weeks or a month or whatever, whatever t- window of time there is, to use that time wisely to try to improve outcomes from the very start. And anything that you introduce in the prehab part, if let's say you only have a week and you're not really expecting someone to get a lot stronger or have a lot better range of motion or whatever, but certainly you could teach them a psychosocial strategy to try to decrease stress. And certainly you could give them specific exercises that would be targeted that they could use after their cancer treatment starts as well. So, again, you're, you're trying to use whatever period of time and... Um, You're trying to improve outcomes, both physical and emotional, with that period of time and those specific interventions.
2: And can you just speak a little bit to whether or not prehabilitation is covered by by, um, a cancer patient's insurance?
3: Very frequently, it is covered. It depends on how it's done at the hospital. Um, And for example, it's more likely to be covered if it's done uh, one-to-one versus done in a group setting. And um, mm-hmm. it's also, it also depends on what problems that patient has. So, for example, um, someone with lung cancer, it almost certainly would be covered because those patients have a lot of physical problems to begin with, whereas let's say you um, are a young Hodgkin's um, lymphoma patient. You were just diagnosed and you really don't have any symptoms of, of any problems at all. Um, it would be a little bit less likely to be covered if you don't have any problems to start with. So um, it really it depends, but that's something that we work with our hospitals very carefully on um, documenting. You know what that baseline status of that patient is, and that what types of interventions would be covered, and, and also what kind of interventions would help with their outcomes.
2: Great, thank you for that. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we have to take just another quick commercial break. This is Linda House. I'm standing in today for Kim Tebeldo, who is the CEO and president of the Cancer Support Community. We will be right back after this break with more on cancer prehabilitation.
4: Steps to a Healthier You. Voice America Health and Wellness.
5: Help us reach our goal of one thousand new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit mealtrain.com/mmt and enter the code Magnolia B, or visit us at
6: cancersupportcommunity.org. Hi. I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities Frankly Speaking about Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, AZI, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
5: Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices?
2: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by AstraZeneca, Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, and Purdue Pharma. This is Linda House. I'm standing in today for Kim Thiebeldo, the president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, and I'm so happy to be joined by Dr. Julie Silver, who is the founder of Survivorship Training and Rehabilitation Program, STAR, S-T-A-R, Survivorship Training and Rehabilitation Program. Julie is an associate professor at Harvard Medical School in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, and Julie is also a breast cancer survivor. So thank you so much for being here with us again um, today, Julie.
3: Well, thank you. This is an important All topic, right. and it's been a delightful talking about it.
2: Well, it's, it's really an important topic, and I think so many of our listeners will, will benefit uh, from, from hearing it. So I just wanted to get a little bit of clarification for our listeners. Can you talk about the kind of healthcare professionals that a patient might run into when they are going for cancer prehabilitation?
3: Cancer prehabilitation is really part of cancer rehabilitation, so when you think about cancer rehabilitation, you think about doctors like me, physiatrists. Those are medical doctors that specialize in rehabilitation medicine. And you also think about physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech-language pathologists. So those individuals are all involved in prehab. But here's something that you might not think about so much, and that is the role of nurses, for example, in in cancer prehabilitation. And it's one of the things that we've been really looking at in the STAR program. Can nurses, particularly navigators who are really um, with the patient from the start, influence and participate in prehabilitation outcomes? And we've done a couple of things to look at it. One of the first things we looked at was, You know, whether rehabilitation professionals thought that this was reasonable to invite nurses to learn more about prehabilitation and develop what we call clinical competencies in prehabilitation. And this is actually research that we're, again, um, sharing with people um, at the upcoming um, uh, AONN meeting um, in September uh, 2014 that um, shows that rehabilitation professionals really did support this. They supported this idea that with training, nurses, particularly navigators, could um, really lead or um, at least participate very actively in prehab, which is different than what they've been doing traditionally. Traditionally, they've been more navigating and also doing some uh, preoperative and, and pre-treatment education, which, uh, which I, as I explained, is a little bit different than prehab. So we're pretty excited about that opportunity for nurses to be involved. Also, I mentioned that I think that every prehab protocol should have a psychosocial component. So that's where you can bring in, for example, um, mental health professionals, you could bring in social workers, you could bring in um, psychologists and so on. And then this is really important and interesting, too, which is, you know, a lot of cancer survivors have been referred to um, fitness professionals after they've had cancer treatment, and that can be a little bit tricky. If these patients have impairments and those fitness professionals really aren't trained to treat those impairments, um, you know, general exercise and fitness is not the same thing as treating patients who have specific impairments. Um, so it's, it's a, a little bit, um, you know, uh, you have to be a little bit careful once somebody's had cancer treatment about, about them being triaged immediately to a, fit, uh, to a fitness professional versus First to physical therapy and then hand it off to a fitness professional. But on the prehab side, many of these patients wouldn't necessarily have uh, impairments to begin with, and they actually could be uh, seen by a fitness professional. So. The example that I gave earlier of that young Hodgkin's patient, um, you know, somebody's newly diagnosed with Hodgkin's, they're fairly young, active, and so on, or uh, the young breast cancer patient, or even middle-aged breast cancer patient who really doesn't have any physical impairments to start with, could certainly um, be seen by a fitness professional who was trained and who was working with the oncology team. Um, And again, you know, we would advocate for a multimodal approach, not just, Going off to a fitness professional out in the community that isn't really tied to the oncology team. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and I love the way that you described that you described the, the the pattern of care, and in particular the healthcare professionals, because it sounds as if these are healthcare professionals that may be able to stay with the patient throughout. The, the prehabilitation period, as well as the acute care and potentially rehabilitation period, when I think about a navigator or a physical therapist or others. So it seems to me like it would be a really nice healthcare professional relationship that would establish over that course of time.
3: That's exactly right. And you're establishing that relationship and you're also getting some data points at each step of the way so that you know what their baseline is. You've done some screening and some assessments and you know their baseline. And then you know what happens, you know, once they've had cancer treatment. And you know, you know, if they've kind of had a drop in their baseline, if they're a little bit sicker. Um, and, and you know, you know, once they have rehab, if they're, if they're, you're, you're sort of building them back up again. So the trajectory in general, if it was sort of a perfect trajectory, would look like this. You would have a certain baseline to start with. Then you'd get prehab, and you would actually get stronger and healthier. So the line would kind of go up. And then you'd start cancer treatments, and you'd have the line start dipping down a little bit. And then you'd get some rehab and the line would go back up again. And hopefully the end point would be that you're above where you started from, stronger and healthier than when you started your cancer treatment. Now, obviously, if someone has cancer as a chronic condition and they're always on treatment and so on, that line may not look like that. But the way that I describe that line is actually... um, Pretty typical of what could happen, for example, to a lot of our breast cancer patients, many of our lung cancer patients, um, our head and neck cancer patients, and so on. Mm-hmm.
2: So, so let's let's move to the topic of research. So, you've mentioned it a couple of times, and some of the research that will be presented at the Academy of Oncology Nurse Navigator meeting in Orlando here in a couple weeks. And so, maybe just to help our listeners understand a little bit about. You know, what does it mean um, for them to become either a part of this research project or what, what are the data points that you're collecting? How will you be using those data points? Just cover some of the basics of that for us, if you would, please.
3: Well, research really depends on, on uh, you know, what patient population you're looking at and, you know, what kinds of interventions you're recommending. And in the STAR program, we have very specific things that, that we look at. Um, so I'll stick with the lung cancer and kind of talk about that for a minute. Um, in the STAR program, we actually recommend something called dual screening, D-U-A-L, So, um, a lot of people have heard about distress screening, and in the STAR program, we recommend dual screening, which is really looking at physical impairment, so physical and functional screening combined with distress screening. So, we're gonna start with a baseline. We're gonna understand what physical problems that patient has to begin with, and what emotional problems that patient um, may be struggling with. And we expect that patients will be distressed at diagnosis. I mean, that's, that's a pretty normal reaction. And then we're going to offer very specific interventions to try to improve that patient's health. So for um, lung cancer, uh, we would offer three interventions. Um, One would be uh, physical therapy to really help with their um, strength and their pulmonary status. Second one would be um, smoking cessation, making sure that they're not smoking. And the third one would be a psychosocial component. And then sometimes we'll add the nutritional component as well to that. So they're going to have that, and then they're going to um, hopefully improve their status. And some of the things that we would be testing would be things like the six-minute walk test, um, the timed up and go, um, the brief pain inventory. So these are all validated tools that we would be looking at at baseline. Then we do it, um, you know, at the end of their prehab before they've started cancer treatment. Then we'd do it after they've had cancer treatment, after surgery or whatever. Then we would send them to rehab, and they'd get some more physical therapy and so on, and we check them again. And all of these data points will sort of tell you where you're at by the numbers. So, you know, if, if someone's six-minute walk test improves over time, that's great. Um, if their timed up and go, improves, improves. If, if they have less pain on the brief pain inventory and so on. So we're looking at lots of different data points, but using... Validated tools to really measure their functional and physical outcomes,
2: and then um, maybe you could speak to a little bit about the, uh, a little bit more about the study that will be presented at the AONN meeting.
3: We have several posters um, at the AONN looking at uh, prehab from different angles, and um, one of them is is this patient who actually. Um, Uh, improved her baseline status. We're starting to see a little bit of this, especially in the colorectal um, cancer research that's coming out of Canada. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Franco-Carly is doing some research that looks very exciting in colorectal um, cancer patients, um, you know, that that are getting prehab. And so, So, the research that that our programs are doing is very much in line with sort of what's also being looked at in Canada. And Canada has, um, Canada and the UK have kind of been, uh, you know, leading the way or at least fairly advanced in prehab research, in part because of their healthcare models um, that really do focus a lot on wellness and a lot on um, trying to empower patients. Um, So, that's uh, that's pretty. Pretty important. The models in the United States that we're sort of um, evolving into, you know, accountable care and, um, you know, uh, covered lives versus uh, taking care of, you know, the, the patient when they have a problem instead of trying to prevent things, you know, that, that all is really changing and feeding into supporting prehab. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot more research um, on prehab. One of the things that I, that I think is fascinating about the research, though, is that on the rehab side and in cancer in general, there's tons and tons of research on breast cancer. And on the prehab side, there's mm-hmm. hardly any. And it's really interesting that um, the research for prehab has primarily focused on head and neck cancer, lung cancer, um, colorectal cancer, and prostate cancer. Um, which is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, breast usually leads the way in research but it hasn't done so in prehab hmm.
2: That's great I, 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 I just love the results that you're having regardless of, of the, the cancer tumor type it really just shows that if you think about the patient and their personal needs, the benefits that you can have, um, and it really defines patient-centered care
3: It really does define patient-centered so, care, and it's It's so important. You know, um, people who are diagnosed with cancer and they live with more pain and disability and fatigue than they need to have, that's really unnecessary suffering. And I always say there's plenty of suffering in cancer. You don't need to add unnecessary suffering to the mix.
2: Right. That's right. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We need to break for just a quick commercial um, segment, and we will return with our final segment and Dr. Julie Silver right after this commercial break.
4: Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world,
6: Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphitech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities Frankly Speaking about Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, AZI, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
5: Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices? I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help.
6: Support
4: from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials.
5: Help with finances and access to care. All behind you of Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer.
4: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
2: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We are coming to the end of our show today on cancer rehabilitation with Dr. Julie Silver, who is the founder of the Survivorship Training and Rehabilitation. Program. Our show today is sponsored in part by McKesson's Giving Comfort Program, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Morphotech. Dr. Silver, right before the break, we were talking about really some of the real patient benefits that are um, being seen for patients who go through prehab. So can you talk a little bit about after completing cancer prehab, what then is next for the patient? And um, are there opportunities for them to find support during and beyond their, their treatment? You know, and so I guess you know, a very similar question or related question is, is if somebody did not have prehab and they are in the middle of cancer treatment, what are their options?
3: That's a really important question because the truth is, is that prehab is relatively new in oncology and that most patients, um, including me, won't have had prehab. On the other hand, um, rehab can help enormously. And um, so we don't want to skip on the rehab part. You know, if you have uh, pain, if you are tired, um, if you have problems with your balance or anything, really, um, ask your doctor about rehab um, and ask your doctor if you should be referred to a physical therapist or an occupational therapist or a rehab doctor, a physiatrist like me. If you are struggling with problems um, and you've never, ever had rehab, then it's time to ask about that because uh, rehab can do a lot to help someone. And I really want to empower patients to do that, empower survivors to do that, um, you know, in, in the perfect world survivors would not have to sort of self-identify and say, listen, I'm having a problem and and, uh, maybe I need rehab. But we're not yet in a perfect world. We probably never will be in a perfect world, but we're not quite there yet with thinking about prehab and rehab and um, making sure that everybody that that needs it or could benefit from it gets it. So survivors do have to um, sort of advocate for themselves sometimes. And I really want to empower them and, and tell them, it's, go, it's fine to ask your doctor about that. In fact, go do that. Ask your doctor about rehab and, and get a prescription.
2: And, and so you know, just at just the point of people seeking out help and knowing that this is available to them, where can patients go or caregivers who are listening to the show today, where can our listeners go to get more information on cancer, prehab, rehab, and the STAR program?
3: They can go to www.oncologyrehabpartners.com. Dot com, And they can put in uh, their zip code in the in the box that says find a STAR program near you. And that will list all the STAR programs near them. And if, if you don't remember the website or you're kind of confused, just put in STAR, just Google, STAR program and cancer rehab, and it will come up.
2: Great. And we are saying STAR as S-T-A-R, like a star in the sky, which stands for survivorship training and rehabilitation. And, you know, I just, want to, I just want to reinforce what you said, and that is you can be at any stage of your cancer journey and speak with your healthcare team and specifically request rehabilitation if you have not had prehabilitation.
3: That's right. And rehab can help uh, all cancer survivors. Um, it can help patients with uh, stage 4, stage 3, stage 2, stage 1. Um, it can help with lung, breast, colorectal, whatever. So, um, you know, we have a lot of really good research to show that it can help you if you are a cancer survivor.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, we, we do a lot and I know that you do as well. We, t- we talk a lot about uh, palliative care in cancer and how palliative care really begins at the point of diagnosis if someone has a symptom that needs to be managed or at, at a point of pre-diagnosis even based on the conversation that we're having today and you know, I just want to make sure that, that our listeners understand that that this is a part of the natural progression of cancer care. And it's the the, the 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 treatment has evolved to this point where at any point in time there are people that are here ready to help you through side effect management, symptom management, improving your quality of life, and this is a perfect example of that.
3: I think that's a really important point, and in fact, um, you know, one of my colleagues at the American Cancer Society was um, just talking about the fact that both palliative care and rehabilitation, they're different, but there's some overlap, but they are both beneath the quality of life initiative that the American Cancer Society is really um, advocating for. So this is really about quality of life. Um, And and, um, both palliative care and cancer rehabilitation have a place there. And they both can start at the very beginning. And then as survivors go through, wherever they are, um, they can be very valuable. And palliative care and cancer rehabilitation also can help survivors with any stage and any diagnosis.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think that's really important. And just before we close today, I want to remind our listeners that you are empowered to go ask if whether you are pre-cancer treatment, go talk to your healthcare team about prehabilitation. If you are in the middle or you've, you've finished cancer treatment, go speak to your healthcare team about rehabilitation. And could you just please repeat the website one more time? For patients to get more information on the STAR program.
3: Sure, it's www.oncologyrehabpartners.com.
2: Great, thank you so much. Dr. Julie Silver, thank you for coming on the show today and for informing our listeners about the important role cancer prehabilitation can play during cancer treatment. And I personally will look forward to the presentations at the Academy of Oncology Nurse Navigator meeting, and I will look forward to seeing you there in just a couple of weeks.
3: That'll be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on today.
2: To all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am Linda House filling in today for Kim Thiebeldo, the President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. I wanted to take a minute and just remind you that if you have an idea for an episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, something that you would like to hear in particular, we invite you to share with us any topics. You can send your ideas to us at news at cancersupportcommunity.org. So that email address is news at cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and over-the-phone support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to do it alone. For more information about our programs, please visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. You can find a location near you or you can access a number of our educational programs and participate in our online communities. You can also call our toll-free helpline at 1-888-793-9355 to speak with a licensed counselor Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until next time, be well, do well, live well.